1: Hello and welcome to the Football Grad Podcast. My name is Manuel Veth and as always I'm joined by Tim. Tim, how are you doing? Bright and early here in, uh, on the BC West Coast, isn't it?
2: Yeah, we started a little bit early, uh, so I'm extremely uh, energized uh, for uh, today's podcast.
1: Yeah. Good morning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, topics, the topics maybe will help us to be uh, a bit more energetic about it Some. Some crazy stuff happened. We we got, I think it's now twenty three out of the thirty two teams for for Russia twenty eighteen. We're gonna talk about some of them um, on today's podcast. So, yeah, we'll see. Maybe that gets us a little bit fired up, Atem. Eh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, as always, joining us, uh, Andrew. How's it going, Andrew? How's uh, how's Siberia? That's uh, always my first question. And what did you oh, think God. of all oh. our craziness last night?
3: Yeah, it was it was kind of uh, the most inconvenient time for me. I I made a, a balanced decision to watch some of Russia's um, game against Iran live and then get up at four thirty to watch Argentina, but I couldn't stay awake for all of the Argentina game either. So um, I did miss some of the the madness live. But God, what a crazy night! Um, this is going to take quite some analysis, I think.
1: Yeah, it's it's going to. But let's start with a team. Uh, that's, that's automatically qualified and that's Russia. And they, they actually played two friendlies and, um, not against Dynamo Moscow or Spartak or CSKA or, I don't know, Tosno. Uh, they actually played against, uh, two countries and the, the first game was against uh, South Korea and quite a positive result, right, Andrew?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, first things first. You mentioned it as well—the um, fact that the opposition were firstly international, but also I think quite sensibly selected because, you know, the South Korea may not be an obvious choice for an opponent, but they're very consistent um, Asian opposition. They qualified themselves already through their AFC qualifiers. Uh, likewise, Iran. Um, and they're actually very good. Uh, I mean, the South Korea have been on the slide for the last few years, but they're still a, a significant opponent. They're the sort of standard that Russia may well be drawn against as a fourth seed in when the World Cup finals draw is made. So, um, firstly, for once, I will actually congratulate the RFU. Decent friendlies are lined up. Um, and it was great. Yeah, five debutants in that first game. Um, they, I mean, Russia were pretty dominant. Um once they got going, swept into a four-nil lead, and yeah, okay, they conceded twice um, late on, but I don't think that should really take away from it. Um, it was it was pretty much positive all round. off selection, um, new guys came in, did reasonably well, um, and and got a good positive, high-scoring result. So yeah, that was about as positive as it could have been.
1: Yeah, Tim, we we spoke with uh, quite a bit of optimism ahead of this. Of ahead of those two friendlies, mainly because of the, the selection. Um, what did you see that, you know, what did you like, what did you not like about the the first game?
2: Um, yeah, just first about the selection, I think, uh, actually, I think it's a great selection, because Russia will be seated in Group A as the first seat, so we're not going to face any big teams. We will face, this is the kind of teams Russia will play in the World Cup. So, in my opinion, this is the, this is an ideal opponent, uh, for, 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 for those two games. And, um, given the past experience that South Korea Russia had, I think it's very important. And then, um, in the past, Russia played against, uh, Algeria and Tunisia at the World Cups. So. Iran and uh, South Korea, I think, ideal opponents. Actually, it's way better than actually playing. I don't know Argentina or whoever they will be playing. But um, in terms of game, I don't know. It's uh, first of all, Russia scored four goals. This is unbelievable success for, for the national team. Uh, even two came from the South Korean player, but still four goals in total. That's amazing. Um, um, Kakorin, Kakorin, you know, back to the team. That's an ex- exciting uh, moment. I think that's actually looked I I their their him and Smolov uh looked quite interesting so I think this actually this uh, this pairing on forwards has has a has a future and obviously I'm excited for my Spartakman Samedev who who was I think in my opinion was uh, was great.
1: Yeah that's three five two uh-huh. and we've spoken yeah. so often about it's that we didn't weren't quite sure for a long time whether that was the right formation or not and
2: I I C- Cherchesov said right from the very beginning he said I analyzed all the previous uh, tournaments we always placed the four at the back We never placed with five and uh, in ho- in most of his previous teams he worked with that strategy he said right away this is going to be the strategy and mm. the tactics for for going forward so yeah
1: I, and I think he's right you know I think it is the right strategy when you look at the uh, a lot of the big teams all over Europe are switching to three five two you know and so I, I assume that a lot of the national teams are going to play in that formation as well. you look at germany what they did the, at the comfort cup they played three five two as well. It seems to be that's the this three five two is the no new four two three one it seems that a lot of teams are going back to that formation um andrew the the second game now didn't go quite as smoothly um sada Asmund scored. The the opener in the 57th and then uh, Polosh, his former teammate Rostov, scored the equalizer in the 74th. Um, one thing that stands, stood out for me, 33,270 at, at the Kazan Arena. This was an, one of the problem stadiums at the Convert Cup. That's a decent attendance for a friendly. What did you make of that mm. game?
3: Yeah, I definitely agree with you. And it is a it is an, an important point to pick up on the attendances because, you know, you, it's a bit late to be looking at this in in depth, but they need to the Russian national team need to be building more of a relationship with the fans and the fact that thirty three thousand came out is is good. Um, yeah, I think the points I make about the Iran game, um, I mean firstly On the end, just looking at the result, okay, 1-1 against a decent side like Iran is not the worst. It's not humiliating. It's not like losing 4-3 to Costa Rica. Good sides Costa Rica are, but conceding 4 in a manner like they did. That was really concerning. Um, I mean, okay, I'll get the negatives out of the way first. Um, I knew, well, I say I knew, I very much expected uh, Ilya Kutupov to have a, a part in the game considering he didn't start against... Uh, South Korea and and I'll be honest once again I I just can't get away from the fact I just don't I don't trust him Um, he made a, a few mistakes and the problem for me was that Iran found it so easy to find gaps in a back three which is it's just one of the it's you know it's just one of the things you cannot afford to do the whole point of having an extra man at the back is surely to close out those sort of spaces so that you're calmer when you're facing um, the attacks and uh, I'll be honest I wasn't impressed with Kutubov again um, but again he's a young lad and giving him more game time he's only going to learn he's only going to gain more experience and that's a good thing um, and I'd, I'd say one other thing I'd like to pick out as well was um, uh, a man from your neck of the woods Konstantin Rausch. Um mm. I was quietly impressed with him actually he seems to use the ball intelligently and is another very, very valid option um, going forwards. So, OK, he's only played twice. We'll see how he develops. But it's good that he's integrated now. Um, so, yeah, the result wasn't great, but they did create a lot of chances. Um, and um, so Madoff, again, like you mentioned, Tim, uh, a great assist um, on the volley from out wide. So accurate. And that is going to be, and I said this a while ago, that is going to be such a valuable tool. On paper, you look at him, he's 33. He doesn't have the pace he once had. Um, He certainly doesn't have the pace of Mario Fernandes or um, even Igor Smolnikov. But he doesn't need his pace. He's such an intelligent user of the ball. So I'm I'm really pleased with him. I really like an intelligent user of the ball like that. And his assist um, showed that. So all in all, I'd say a very successful international break. Um, you know, didn't didn't beat Iran, but I don't think that matters.
1: Yeah, Tim Kokarauch is was one of the new guys in, in the squad. The other one was uh, Mario Fernandez finally has his, his first cap for Russia. Um Kokarouch, of course, a guy who was born in Russia. Um the family is Vulgar German, so you know, part of the the big German community that used to live in, in the Soviet Union um, until the collapse of the, the USSR. Uh, so, you know, one, one of the newly integrated players. But what did you make of Mario Fernandez?
2: Well, to me i think um you know it's you you come to the question of the whole um, naturalizing i think that's how it's the, they call it in russia like uh, of the players and uh clearly you know if you look just at the whole russian league he's clearly the best right back in the in the league so obviously that makes sense that they went for it, and um, I think it just it, it will take time for him to to adjust to the game. He's clearly an amazing player, and uh, like I said, the best right back in the league. Also, given that uh, formation of three five two, you need a player like F- F- Fernandes uh, who would be. Also, given uh, also I'm saying that as, uh, is, um, about Raush, I haven't seen him very much in Bundesliga, I've seen a few games, but uh, still, again, he plays in one of the best leagues in the world, and if Churchesov sees him as a player who potentially can be a player in the lineup, uh, then, then, you know, like, uh, he, he he probably knows more than, than us, um, and um, I see, I, I see you know, having those players, Rausch and Fernandes, uh, who are clearly, they might be not, like, you know, normal, like, per person like players like I don't know Dmitry Kambara for Smolnikov who played their whole career in Russia but still I think that adds strength and a little bit of um I don't know an edge to to the Russians game and I'm actually very excited for Fernandes I think he will need time because um, from what I understand he, his, his Russian is not perfect and uh, he need to adjust to the team but um clearly the the level and the the class of this player is to be the starting linebacker on World Cup 2018.
1: Yeah, maybe yeah. a th- thing or two about Konstantin Roush. Um He was, of course, born, as, as I mentioned, in Russia. He was born in Khrushchevnikov, uh, in the Tomsk Oblast. So, you know, and this was back in the time of the Soviet Union. His his family came, came over, well, early age, so... You know, right after the the Berlin Wall collapse and communism collapse in Eastern Europe, his family made made use of back then Germany still had the laws from Kaiser from the Kaiserreich which allowed uh any person with German blood to get gained German citizenship automatically and that that law was um put away in nineteen ninety four. So when when his family arrived they were basically automatically given German citizenship just because of their the ethnic background uh, so and then he played you know he did play for the German youth development teams in u 16 u 17 u 18 u 19 u 21 and um, for, for there was a time when he was considered one of these for the of the guys that could make the jump to German national team so you know there is there's quite a lot of potential there he's now 27 I guess he's he's decided he wants to play for one of his two countries and um, since Germany is no longer an option for him. Russia this and Konstantin Raush, I think is going to be a good and stable um addition to the the, the spawnna simply because you know he ha- as you said he plays in the Bundesliga he plays for curl and he plays week in week out regular mm-hmm. numbers in that league and there isn't many in that squad that do that so I think that is that is a lot of experience that he's bringing to to russia and at the age of 27 you know you can get this tournament out of him you can get the euros out of him and you can probably get another world cup out of him so it still makes makes quite a little sense to to have him integrated so i'm curious to see uh i think he's he is going to make that russia squad simply because of where he's playing and um his his background i think tactically technically he'll add quite a lot to it just because of that german youth academy background too right so uh will be an interesting one to follow. Guys, I want to move this on to Ukraine and uh sadly Tim, you Ukrainian brothers, they didn't make it. Um bit of harrowing the the way the the last day of the group stage went down. Um it was a four-way pretty much a four-way playoff going into the last two games. And um, Ukraine did their homework, almost like we predicted against Kosovo, didn't they? Um, Won the game 2-0, and then we were we're joking they will probably um, go down in a glorious defeat to Croatia on the last match day, And sadly, that's exactly what happened.
2: Yeah, to me, this group I was uh, the group I followed the most out of this whole weekend, uh, because I watched uh, Iceland-Turkey, and then I watched the, uh, obviously, Ukraine game and <clears throat> for me that was um, yeah, like obviously that the most the most dramatic uh, group uh, in in that in that whole um, uh, european qualification um f- we were joking about glorious exit of ukraine it wasn't even glorious it was just an exit i was going for them and supporting them and i was hoping that they will make it through but really i watched the game and now just looking back at it like i don't really can recall any Real good chances, except those two uh, shots in the first half from uh, from a fairly long distance. And um, I have no idea what happened to them in the halftime because they they sh- they came out as a, as a completely different team, and um, it was it was really big difference between the fairly exciting um, first half and complete uh, failure in the second half. Uh, Croatia, just again looking, I also looking at two squads. Players in Croatia play in Real Madrid, Barcelona, Juventus, club of best level, um, and really the um, Ukraine, like we said, same situation, similar to Russia, that only two uh, foreign players who play, like, consistently like the two, two stars let's say let's call them two stars obviously Konoplyanka and, and Yermolenka. Um, and I think that was the difference because uh, Modric was just and Rakitic were just genius like those uh, those the, the passes they made the way they controlled the game and I think that was the the difference in the end of the day it was sad uh, but I, it felt like especially in the second half that was just a difference in level and um, unfortunately Ukraine will be out of
1: the uh, Russian World Cup yeah, that's, I think you, you pretty much nailed it there, Tim. Um, you know, that when you, when you look around some of the tweets and, um, messages that I got after this game and, um, from what I've gathered from the Ukrainian community living abroad, the, there there was a lot of talk about failure, make, failing to do, make the last step, um, failure to, to get the job done, but they were playing Croatia. You know, they were playing a country that was one of the dark horses at the Euro uh-huh. 2016. And you're quite right to point out the squad. You know, the front, the front four is Mansukic, Perezic, Modric and Kamaric. You know, they're uh-huh. all, they're all guys that play in clubs that finished in the top four last season of their respective leagues. And we're talking the Serie A, the Bundesliga, La Liga and, you know, pretty much the creme de la creme of European football and it doesn't get much worse when you go further back I mean there's Milan Bardelj Ivan Rakitic who plays for Barcelona uh, you know and then you go further back with Salko, Lovren Mitrovic Vida who of course plays in Ukraine this is this is a very good side and I think this is really what it came down to was the, the quality in Croatia's team is simply better and I you know, one of the guys that I followed for quite some long time now is is Mario Mandzukic, and I think uh, people people ask me quite a bit about what's what's gone wrong with Bayern, um, and I think they're missing someone like Mandzukic in in a lot of ways because he is someone who puts up his sleeves and just puts in an enormous amount of work rate, he, even if he doesn't score goals. He's just a pain in the side of any team he plays against, and. That's the kind of, that's the kind of personalities you need in, in a final of, you know, because this was pretty much a final, um, to just get the job done. And mm-hmm. I mean, Andrew, this, this is the personality thing is, is such a big one in the big games. And Yamolenko, of course, um, he's getting a lot of plaudits at Borussia Dortmund for being mm-hmm. that kind of personality. But you have to sense that even when you look beyond Yamolenko in that Ukraine squad, personality isn't really there.
3: Well, it's an interesting angle you take there, Manu, and I actually think you've got a point. I mean, we mentioned on last week's podcast about um, about Marlos getting Ukrainian citizenship, and, you know, he's, how I would call it, he's gone about it the right way. He's He's been in the country for a long time, and he's clearly got a connection, but, you know, he's got to develop his place in the side malenka's star is rising, going to Dortmund obviously, and what a start he's had domestically um and i mean it's it's quite hard to judge from this distance, but you will always question whether you know he his head is distracted somehow possibly um he actually I think had quite a good game, um you know he he laid on chance after chance for his teammates and perhaps was unlucky not to have at least assisted one um. But, um, yeah, you mentioned the character. It's such a hard thing, isn't it, to shake off. Whether it's real or whether it's been created by the media and the fans actually doesn't really matter. If there is a a weight hanging over them of, of crumbling at the crucial stage, that's a hard thing to shake off. And, um, you know, the character comes, well, of course character comes into it. Ukraine have consistently been you know, qualifying at the top of groups or very near the top of groups for, for a lot for a number of years now. Um so the quality is obviously there and is the star of the show, but um it's not just about him. There is Konopianka, there is um Shigankov coming through, Marlos is now naturalized of course. Um so character has got to come into it. At home to Croatia, well you mentioned that Croatia are a great side, yes. But you know, that's kind of the point of qualifies, isn't it? If you can't beat the side in front of you, then you don't deserve the right to be in the World Cup. So on that basis, it's the right result. Um, so, yeah, I don't know where Ukraine go from here. Do they do they make a huge upheaval? Do they, I mean, is Shevchenko going to lose his job for this? I don't think he should. Um, I think consistency is what we need. But we'll wait and see if the Ukrainian Federation have that patience.
1: Yeah, uh, that's a very good question. What does Ukraine do from here? I, I reckon Shevchenko will keep going and um build on what he's done because the the results weren't all bad and um I think they 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 were a bit unfortunate um you know, given that the draw and who they were in the group with because this was this is a tough group of Iceland, Croatia, Ukraine, Turkey. Even Finland and of course Kosovo, first World Cup qualification cycle. but still not a bad team. So this, this was a tough group and, um, they, they didn't do too poorly. They just didn't get the result when they needed it the most. Um, but I think that Chevchenko is the right man for the job. And I think he needs, he needs to continue with his work and continue to build. And, um, Ukrainian football is, is in an awkward position and, um, politically. And needs to just, um, find a way to, to get, get through the situation. Um, you know, so I think, and I hope that Shevchenko will keep going. Um, speaking about politics, this, this was a, a tweet that I saw, uh, by Sean Walker from The Guardian. And uh, he put out the statement saying that it wasn't even sure whether Ukraine would have gone anyways if they had qualified. Now, Andrew and Tim, I throw this question to you both. We've seen statements by the FFU, quite clear statements that they will be going. Um, I spoke to Alan Moore who was very close to the players' union. They also said all the players said we'll go be going to Russia. And um I I think, you know, maybe to you first, Andrew, um is this just a harrowing attempt somehow by um, a, a newspaper that I prefer, actually really respect, The Guardian, to, to put controversy into a subject that where really there is controversy, but into a, a particular part of it where there really wouldn't have been any.
3: Well, I, I mean, I, I agree with you on that point. I really don't think, um, I mean, even without seeing the statements from the Ukrainian Federation, um, I, I don't think there's any doubt Ukraine would have gone anyway, because to not go would make a bigger deal of of it, than it would have done if they had gone. If you see what I mean, you know, not going is such a such a huge statement. I mean, what what would that what message does that send to the players? Do you honestly think the does anybody actually think the players are genuinely more interested in the the political statement or actually the biggest stage of their careers? They're not, you know, they go if they go through a qualification campaign, earn the right to get there, and then. The Federation says, oh, by the way, we're not going to go because we think it might be. You know, the, I, the thing I'd point out about the relationship between Ukraine and, and Russia, without getting into the deep inside politics of it, because, Manny, you've probably been a much better person to speak on the politics side of it. But what I, my experience, I've, I've known a few um, Ukrainians where I live in Tumen, and there was a cab driver, actually, I spoke to once. Mm-hmm. And, and he actually lived very, very close um, to Crimea and he he said to me, and I've I've gone in his touch a few times actually, and he said, you know, a lot is made about Russia against Ukraine, but a lot of us actually see a lot of brotherhood with a lot of Russians. Um, it's the the some areas of the country there'll be different sentiments, but it's not like Ukraine is one block with all the same sentiments. Um, so. The fact that, uh, you know, this this tweet came out, I think it was just extremely unhelpful. It it wasn't very well thought through because, um, especially for somebody well-placed, as Sean Walker is in Moscow, um, in the region, he should have really known more about what uh, the Ukrainian Federation were likely to say. Um, But, yeah, it is in itself a non-issue, but it's become an issue by an unhelpful tweet. And I just don't like that. It's unnecessary Mm. at this stage.
1: Tim, do you think that Russia has been spared an awkward situation by Ukraine not going? Um, do you know UEFA recently this still holds up the principle of not drawing Ukrainian and Russian teams together. There's also the, the, in the recent UEFA Nations League. Um, at one point we'll have to all study what that actually is. And, um, They've decided not to draw Russia and Ukraine together. Do you think Russia has been spared an awkward situation by Ukraine going? Because one of the things, one of the, the statements I got is that Ukraine really wanted to go, um, simply to remind people what's going on in the Donbass.
2: Well, you know, actually I had a hope that Ukraine first may make it and then that somehow will uh, will make a positive effect on the whole situation. In general, you know, for me it's hard to say because I live far away and that conflict happened after I moved to Canada. So I don't have this inside uh, knowledge, but I have outside knowledge. And I'll tell you what. I play on a Russian, like we call it, uh, like a a team of Russian-speaking players my, half of my team are Ukrainians and they are like my, one of my best friends here my mom's boyfriend is Ukrainian and uh, I listen to Ukrainian bands I follow Ukrainian football to me it's all bullshit you know all this political stuff. It's it's of course there are of course like there are some some conflicts and there are some people who have radical views. But I follow up what uh, what Andrew is saying that to us to most of us especially to older people who were born in the same country that are called Soviet Union, where there is a lot of brotherhood. Of course, it's not ideal and there there are some problems. But um, in my opinion, I don't see a big difference be- between Russians and Ukrainians. As, as As people, we were brought up in the same environment, and so we have same similar traditions. Uh, most of us speak the same language and I don't see that as, as I, don't, I don't like this conflict and I don't think that should be a conflict. So the way I saw that I was hoping that maybe a, a Ukraine going to the to the World Cup will be this the positive turnaround in the whole relationship, maybe not between the governments, maybe just between normal people. And uh, that the, we had a couple of experience in the past when just Russians uh, and Ukrainian sports people that when they met at some international tournaments in different sports, uh, they showed the solidarity and they showed that they're first people. And then there's this politics uh, side of things. So, um, yeah, yeah, I'm not sure if I'm answering the questions. I'm just mm. really saying my opinion. But I, I really upset personally like this this conflict makes me really upset and i don't think it should be there and i think it's all comes from politics and uh, normal people are above that stuff and being you know like i said i've been supporting ukraine this whole qualification and i really want them to make it and yeah
1: yeah it's, i think it is an opportunity lost because of the the fans that would have gone and i'm, I'm sure and i know lots of ukrainians that live in moscow too um you know one of my closest friends in the region um he is Ukrainian and he's decided to move to Moscow for work after the conflict so you know even though there is this conflict people still go back and forward all the time and you know make uh. opportunities happening and it's 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 such a weird awkward situation so it would have created an awkward situation for the politicians that are in charge of this whole mess but i think it would have also created an opportunity for you know just fan interaction between the two groups and just being in the stadium and seeing that the 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 yellow and blue of the ukrainian team and the ukrainian national anthem and all of that would have maybe you know created an opportunity for dialogue and a part of me is very sad that we don't have that 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 opportunity is is gone because it is it is a great opportunity and um you know maybe the european championships in 2020 there's there's going to be a, a european wide championship of course Maybe we'll, we'll get some of that there, but it's not going to be quite the same. Um, last point really guys. Um, Iceland made it. Wow. Country of 300,000 people qualified for the World Cup. First time a country population of under one million people has qualified for the World Cup. My main question really is out of this whole mess. How come Iceland can do it and Canada can't? Uh, that's, that's probably a different podcast altogether. <laughs> But what a story that is. Um, it's just incredible because I always thought, you know, the, the European Championships. And I was not a, I'm not a fan of the expanded European Championships. And people always say, to me, well, look, it makes the stories like Iceland possible. I'm like, well, Iceland finished the group first for the Euros. And guess what? They finished their World Cup qualification group first too. You don't need to expand World Cups to give small countries a chance. Iceland is showing that. So, you know, the whole talk about expanding World Cups is um, is basically proven wrong by Iceland doing what they're doing. But, Andrew, I know you have um, a, a friend within your circle over the, these football times who must be just absolutely ecstatic about what happened <laughs> to Iceland.
3: Oh yeah, just a bit. Yeah, Jim Jim Hart. He's uh, he, he's actually in regular contact with the Icelandic uh, FA, and he's just fallen in love with the team. As most neutrals have. And you know, to go back to the very start of your question, man, how have they done it? For me, it's a very very simple thing. They, I saw a I saw a tweet which did the rounds last summer and was regurgitated again um, after they they got their crucial win against Kosovo where it showed the number of residents per UEFA qualified coaches. And Iceland has, I don't know if it's the highest in the world, but it's certainly one of the highest proportions of qualified coaches to population. Um, It's it's almost something like 10, 15 times the number per person that there are in England. And if you think of the sheer volume of Lot of money and resources poured into youth development in England for, well, I'm not going to say no gain. The youth teams have been uh, been fantastic this summer, um, uh, under, uh, under 20 world champions, under 17 European champions. So there's quality there. But that transition to the senior team, um, it just must need even more coaches. And, and, and Iceland identified that. So that plus a phenomenal spirit that you really get out of, every performance they have. You know, we're looking at that group. They've won a group against, you know, above the likes of Croatia, who, as you guys mentioned, they've got players for Barcelona, for Real Madrid, for, for, for Inter Milan. You know, they've got all of these top players. Iceland regularly field players from Cardiff City, from Burnley. Mm. Um, Gilfie Sigurdsson's their star name, but, um, you know, he's not exactly tearing the world alight at Everton at the moment. Um, you know, but that doesn't matter they've got quality coaching, they've got an ethos that's been drilled into them from a young age and um, and they've got good team spirit and that is what endears them to so many people and they will have so many neutral fans at the World Cup. Um, I, I'm desperately hoping actually they'll get drawn in, uh, well, at least have a game in Yekaternburg so I can get to see them live but um, yeah, full credit to them. Yeah, absolutely
1: and I think you know, the, the debate in North America, of course, is raging because the, the boys down south have done the unthinkable and did not qualify of what I think is probably the most easiest qualification group there is in the world. Bruce Arena may think otherwise, but it seems like, um, things have been tough for him all around. Um, and they, of course, they wonder how Iceland has been doing it. And I think there's, there's really two things. Lots of coaching. And I believe it's free football too, isn't it, Andrew? You know, you don't have to pay to play. Um, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, totally that's, so. that's the key point guys, That's yeah. the number one thing. you want kids to play, don't charge them up to two thousand dollars a year to do it. you know you you alienate a huge part of your population. so if the u s a is wondering how Iceland is doing it and and countries like the u s doesn't do it, and uh, Canada is throw you in there as well because you have very much the same problems than the u s a has um Look at Iceland, make coaching free. Make playing free and you will get results. That's really, you know, the number one issue. Uh, I had chatted with someone who was very knowledgeable about it yesterday on Twitter and he said, that's the number one issue. Iceland has shown how to do it as a small country. And I mean, this is, this goes even, you know, it even qualifies for teams like England who've, who've struggled many years, um, with despite having an enormous amount of potential and resources. And the, the, it, it's quite simple. Make your kids give them access to good coaching good facilities and don't charge an arm and a leg for it um it it leads to results go figure anyways i want to move on to another topic and this is actually um something that made me quite sad and this is group a where france and sweden qualified france um is going to be one of the best sides maybe one of the favorites at this tournament they didn't always convince me uh, at this World Cup cycle. There was games where there was, I was thinking, wow, that's, that's fantastic. They, they play the best football all around. And then there was games like the 0-0 against Luxembourg where they were just horrible. Um, but you know, they didn't really surprise too many uh, by winning this group. I think what is the big surprise is the Netherlands not making out of it. And, um, they were put in a very tough situation on the last match that they had to beat Sweden 7-0 to get past them. The, the qualification groups, of course, used goal differential as the number one tiebreaker, uh, rather than head-to-head. Uh, Tim, Oranje, Oranje Boven is the slogan, uh, which means above. It's no, sadly not true this time. We'll miss out on a lot of orange, a lot of fun fans, uh, at Russia 2018. Your thoughts on that?
2: Well, let's say in my opinion, obviously, I'm. It's upsetting. I always liked Netherlands. I always said this since I was a kid. My first a real champions league which i followed like pretty much like every match day was there when ajax won it mm. and since then i had the soft spot for ajax and netherlands in general and that generation was fantastic then the so yeah, i had a, i have a soft spot for netherlands obviously quincy promised place for them so i also wanted for him to to be there but um from what i understand i'm not big specialist and i don't know deep into dutch football but it just like it's it's, it's just the state it shows the state where the the whole football is at and um uh, it just just ups, upsets me like that, that we won't see. And you know, like I just also, like just this romantic um, vision that I also will want to see those legendary teams at the World Cup. You need your Italy's, your France's, your Netherlands, your Brazil's at the tournament. And once one of those teams doesn't qualify, the World Cup really misses out on this little bit of history. I'm really, I'm very, I'm, I won't say I'm very conservative, but I respect football history. And I think that football history, football as general, is a conservative game because the The rules didn't change much over the history of time. And uh, keeping that uh, big and uh, important team, along with obviously big players, uh, it is important. And uh, it makes the tournament more interesting. Everyone knows how colorful and uh, fun uh, Dutch fans are. So definitely the the World Cup misses out. But uh, if we talk about football, like I said, it is just shows the the level of... uh, of, of the state uh, where the, the Dutch football is in right now. And even we, we look at the players and uh, it's, it's. I don't think it's even, I don't, I don't know how to say if it's a generational problem, but really like if you look at the players, the players who play this, they, they don't play all at the top level. Mm. Uh, but when uh, Jansen is there, one of their main strikers that just shows, you know, where where the team is, um, that's a that's a, when they call up Ryan Babel, who you know we forgot that he existed to be quite honest mm-hmm. until he resurrected in uh, Besiktas. But uh, it just shows really, and I don't know, I don't, I don't know wh- wh- what it is. Is it young players leaving the country too early? Is it the lack of coaching? Because I heard another opinion that they they have this like you know big boys club in terms of uh, who 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 manages the team. It's Dik Advocat, Goose heading. Uh, it's it's the same people. It's the same people from that group of top uh, level people. And I heard an opinion that, uh, to be quite honest, Bosch should be the the coach of national team. But he got a great offer from Dortmund. But um, there is an opinion in the country that he should be leading there. He is the most innovative and exciting coach who should be working with uh, with the national team. But uh, they still have Dick Advocate who, uh, you know, I don't think he's behind his time, maybe he is, but it it's clearly didn't give anything um, to this national team.
1: Yeah, you point out something really important there. Um, I, I lived in the Netherlands and I've played football there. And in terms of football infrastructure, amazing, really good. And, you know, even small clubs have really good coaching infrastructure. And it's, it's really hard to put your finger on it and say, this is the one problem. I think maybe one of the issues is that it's a small, it's a smaller country. So, um, they are more dependent on, on golden generations. And I think they've also been found out. Um, one of the, the statements that went around Twitter yesterday, and it must be just hurting Orania so bad that the Germans are now the experts on Dutch football. And yeah. I think what they mean by that, and it makes a lot of sense, is that a big, if a big country like Germany, with its population of 80 million, copies the Dutch system, and you know, just it, it, it's it's a mathematical, it's mathematics, right? Four times the population, same system, they will churn out four times the amount of talented players, and they will just do always do well. And, and that's that's maybe what's been happening. But it's also the way the Germans been playing is um, the way the Netherlands used to play. And I think they 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 gone with Louis von, Louis van Gaal and um, Marwijk before him um, just to get results rather than play beautiful football. And that's that's maybe something that is hurting them. Um, yeah. So sadly, not gonna be there. Sadly, I also know and Robben, he's retired, that's um, another one, I, I think we might actually see the last season of him, to be quite frank, at Bayern as well, um, a fantastic player, a player who I, I always like watching, although he has the tendency to dive, uh, unfortunately, <laughs> but he's such a great player, and I mean, Andrew, um, one of the greats of international football, was now hanging up his boots.
3: Yeah, no, I, I I wholeheartedly endorse that that viewpoint on Robin. I remember when he first arrived in England, um, what about a decade ago? I guess more than a decade ago for Chelsea, and you know he reminded me, <laughs> he reminded me of a player who I used to play against at university, who was left-footed like him, played on the right wing like him, did almost exactly the same move every single time, about fifteen times a match. But he's so good, you just cannot stop him cutting in and bending it with his left foot into the far corner. I mean, he's far more than just that. But I mean, that's what I remember of him. I'm already talking on I mean, him; must have finished article completely. But um, God, he's uh, he's just he's one of those players you just absolutely, utterly detest to play against. He's just um, you look on the team sheet, and you just you would groan as a defender. I mean, can you imagine trying to to mark him? Is it the centre back who picks him up? Is it the full back? Um, the effect he has. He's he's just one of those guys, your go-to guy when the chips are down and you think, right, it's a bit of a stodgy game. Give the ball to somebody who can make something happen. Robin's your man. And that's a priceless quality that very few players genuinely have to the level that Robin has had for so long. Um, So, I I agree. I do think he dives. Um, A lot of players do. Um, And Robin is one of them, yes. But, I, I'm a, that's a very, very minor part of the fact of what a fantastic footballer he is. So yeah, it's a shame he wasn't given a swan song at the World Cup. But anyway, he has he's not had a bad career, but it uh, could have been better.
1: Yeah, he's won everything, Andrew, on the club level, including the Champions League. So that's not bad at all. Uh, played for Chelsea, Bayern, Real Madrid... Uh, not, not bad. <laughs> not bad. <laughs> not bad at all. Um, you know, his numbers in the Bundesliga are stunning, Uh, even though he's, he seems to have reached a standard as we talked about quite a bit on uh, the Gegenpressing podcast. Uh, Robin has been one of our major topics and that's simply because, you know, he's getting to an age now where he can no longer carry both the national team and Bayern and maybe not even carry Bayern anymore but different topic different times um group B another final and uh, this is actually a game I watched quite closely it was Portugal against uh, Switzerland Portugal ended up getting the job done um this was this this was an exciting group in the sense that Portugal and Switzerland pretty much dominated it to such an extent that uh, they They've won all the, the games and uh Switzerland won the home game against Portugal. And now Portugal won their home game, uh, of course, against Switzerland. And uh, Giroud with an own goal and Silva with the, the second one, the 57th minute. Ronaldo's maybe last chance to make a mark on the World Cup. I personally don't think Portugal are strong enough to win the World Cup. But Tim, your thoughts? Portugal, favorite to win the World Cup? One of the favorites oh, maybe,
2: oh well, we will we never know like if if you look at the, the last euro where they favored it's obviously not they 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 worked hard, they had this team mentality, and they got a the favorable draw mm. and got the results so it's it's really like you know making I'm not a big uh, fan of um, uh, how we call it the uh, predictions and um, even betting uh, because to me that kind of defeats the purpose of the beautiful game of football because uh, what I like about football is that complete unbelievable uh, excitement which happens in games like... um St- Istanbul final and you know there's so many games like that to me this like predicting and saying who will be the uh, the World Cup winner is kind of like you know defeats the whole purpose of the World Cup because like I'm excited for that but it also but if you look take it this just emotional aspect it really depends on, on the draw it really depends on who will you face who will be in which condition down the, down the road uh, down the road in the tournament there will be injuries and uh, yellow and red cards so it really comes down to those little Little moments and that really determines who goes through uh, definitely if France were in a better position than Portugal in, in last Euro final but uh, Portugal got it um, I'm a big uh, I have a massive respect to Cristiano Ronaldo I know he gets a lot of um, giggling and a lot of like bad press but I'm i a massive fan of his professionalism he made just his whole life of that crazy professionalism and his result I think it's 15 goals in 9 games or maybe 10 games regardless it's just phenomenal result in my 15 games or 15 goals this is ridiculous. I, even they played, you know, you, you know, they had Andorras and uh, I, uh, Faroe Islands, but still, like, I am I'm I'm, 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 have massive respect for his hard work and what he's done. Um, it was funny that both teams won every single game and, uh, like, mm. you know, most, except, <laughs> except that it came down to the final and that's kind of, again, funny. I, I, unfortunately, I haven't watched this game so I don't really have an, an, an opinion on the game, but just overall, overall group, um, yeah, Portugal is the country especially you know it it's always upsets me it, it's it happened a few times when uh, euro winners if they don't qualify for the world cup you still want to see this continuity uh, they still have this good team mentality because the success always strengthens strengthens the team so i'm happy to see portugal and given the way switzerland uh pretty much marched on for that group and just lost in the final. Um, I see them as you know favorites. Uh, who they, depends who they will win. But like as again, I I hope Switzerland also make it because I lived in Switzerland. I also have a soft soft spot for this country.
1: Yeah, I'm pretty sure Switzerland will will get to the the, the playoffs. I I thought they had a great uh, qualification cycle, and um, to lose in Portugal two zero is is not the end of the world that can happen. Um, Group C. Speaking of a team tanking its way through the playoffs, uh, through the, the, the qualification, Germany left, left no eye dry, uh, 10 games, 10 wins, 43 plus 39, plus 39 43 goals scored, 4.3 <laughs> goals a game. Um, we spoke about this on game pressing. I think if there is a World Cup favorite, it's them. Uh, I think the, the only thing that can stop them is a bad night and that can happen at any World Cup. But I think that is literally the only thing that will stop this machine of winning uh, a second World Cup in a row. So if Germany does not win the World Cup next summer, and I know this is, this is a quite a, a big statement coming from a German, then something went wrong on a night. And that's possible. Tim, you said it. Football is, football it happens. Um, it can happen really quickly. You just need to look at Schweinsteiger's stupid penalty against France at the Euros. <sighs> and, um, yeah. then, you know, you're out and, uh, a perfect tournament or a perfect qualification cycle means absolutely nothing. But given what Germany has done, whew, it's really hard to look beyond them. Uh, I want to move quickly through that though. Group D, Serbia and Republic of Ireland. Um, Serbia back in the tournament. That's that's great news in my opinion. Uh, always been a big fan of Serbian football. Republic of Ireland, one of those teams. They they always in the playoffs, of course. Unfortunate in the past um, with the, the the Ori handball. So we'll, we'll see what would they get. <laughs> Poland, Denmark, Poland through. You know Lewandowski carried that team. Uh, I I think. You know, I'm not sure what to expect either one of them. Denmark is always one of those small teams you don't want to face in the tournament. Andrew, you boys, England, on paper, not a bad World Cup qualification cycle. Um, 10 games, eight wins, two draws, 18 to three goals, though. Good defense, poor goal scoring, considering that you have a world class striker in Harry Kane. At least that's what the English press is making him out to be. Um, how do you feel about this uh, England team going to Russia, real quick?
3: Well, to be honest with you, it was, and it's, 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 not being, it's not being arrogant. I expected it to pan out how it did. It wasn't especially expansive stuff throughout the campaign, and um, it, they got the job done. And England's qualification record is actually one of the best um, on the continent. I think I think it's something like eleven years since they lost since we've lost a home World Cup qualifier. Um, but again, it's just like you say, that means nothing if you don't deliver in the finals. Um, Harry Kane, I think, I think he is a, he is, there's no question, he is a world class finisher. Um, and he will always be around to, if there's anybody I want to feed off scraps or whatever crosses we can feed him, um, or ball through from midfield, he's the one who will finish them off. Um, but the team just lacks character. Um, At the moment, I I have absolutely zero expectation. And I'll tell you, this is telling. You mentioned the English press. Um, Every World Cup, every campaign always routinely builds up England to be one of the favourites. This time, I've noticed a distinct difference that they're saying that there really isn't much hope of England winning. Now, if the English press are saying that, you know that there really is very little expectation um so if they get through the groups get to an interesting knockout stage the quarterfinals I'll be happy enough with but I, I'm not expecting them to get that far but anyhow they've done the job so far so you know uninspiring but they've got the job done
1: yeah uninspiring that's the, what I got from watching some of these games and yeah I th- I think there is some good stuff happening in the youth in England and you see Jaden Sancho today lit it up at the U-17 World Cup, um, but he's playing, of course, in Germany. So, you know, there's that. The youth doesn't get the chance that they need to in England, and that's because of the whole setup of the Premier League. But that's a different pod- podcast altogether. Um, boys, Group G, the group of death, because it had Spain and Italy, and Italy has to make that walk into the playoffs. 180 minutes of fear. I remember when Germany was last there in 2001, mostly thanks to England um, actually winning against Germany for once. Tim, the Italian side, but they will surely get through. I mean, they will get an unseeded team, and they will they will make it. And I mean, it would be it would be, harrowing to lose Italy on top of the Netherlands.
2: Exactly. Exactly. Again, going back to the same points I made about Netherlands, we need Italy at the World Cup, and uh, they have this exciting generation of young players coming up. Uh, maybe not this tournament, maybe next tournament, or maybe next Euro. This is where they will get some experience. But they have this a lot of really talented players who who do well in their um, in their um, in Serie A, and um, they're so like I want them to to get to the result, to get this uh, this, uh, this playing experience, playing experience. There's like um, you know Bernadeski, you get those uh, like you know those players who are, who are exciting to watch, and you I, I want you want them to develop. And obviously, Gigi Buffon. This is, I think, everyone in football is a big fan of Gigi Buffon. Mm-hmm. And see, seeing him again at the World Cup and uh, probably finishing up his career there. Uh, for the national team, again, that will be a massive, uh, massive, uh, you know again, we need this, the World Cup gets um, b- benefits from uh, players like Gigi Buffon or like Kilini uh, Barzali, Banucci going to, to the World Cup uh, this this adds interest And but uh, going back again, like you said, it's uh, mm-hmm. same what you said about Germany it's on a given night, um, even obviously Italy has the class and the, the level of players, you have no idea what will happen on a given night in 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 the playoff obviously they will be seeded and they will get the favorable draw Uh, but uh again like you know going throws playoff it's it's never given because you you can you can face a team which just has the game of their night and um and you're out Mm. so hopefully we'll get italy uh, in russia and
1: because we need we need teams like that yeah i agree Uh, one hundred percent agree I think that Italy is happy yeah, be sad, although you know for for Germany and my nerves in particular, we've never beaten them in a, in a world cup elimination game ever um you know they are they are for us what Germany is for England uh, at the world cup so I, I, there is that little part where I'm thinking, oh Italy's gone. Well, that's that's a clear path to the final right there. <laughs> <laughs> so because then there's literally no teams left that can really really damage us at this tournament. Um, but we'll see, we'll see. I think um, going on to the, the last group that we needed to d- discuss in Europe um, before you know we get to Andrew's big sigh of relief um, as Belgium made it. Um, to the World Cup, Greece are in the playoffs. We'll see what Greece can do in those playoffs. I, I personally don't expect very much of them, to be honest. But yeah, Andrew, Argentina made it to the World Cup. And that was yes. drama, drama poor. Wow. Um So we got the the four direct teams from Combo, Brazil, Uruguay, Argentina, Colombia. Argentina actually finishing third, which is a lot more than we expected. Uh Leonel Messi carried them on in Ecuador in Quito, uh elevation two thousand eight hundred meters. Uh I believe Argentina hasn't gotten a result there since nineteen ninety-seven. Uh they got their result there now and they're going to the World Cup. And more importantly, you're going to see them November tenth, is it, at the Lushniki?
3: Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um yeah, I mean I, I actually did catch um well, I got about the first hour of the game before my eyes failed me, and then I watched the rest of it and highlights later. And I have got to be honest; it was a, it was a very very open game. I thought it was going to be very cagey, very well because you know I, I I used to live in Quito. I've I've been to that very stadium and and I've watched a a local derby there and. The, you arrive at the airport, and they actually give you oxygen um, just in case, or they have it there in case you need it for first-time arrivals. And there's, again, I it's that, and C-
2: Could you please explain this experience? I've always been curious how that actually works. I don't understand how that works, like the lack of oxygen. Well, can, can you explain,
3: like, the feeling? How is it? Well, it basically, like Manu says, it's really high up. And it's not the highest up by a long way. In La Paz uh, in Bolivia, of course, is much higher. But you, when you get there, the air is so thin, it feels like you are already tired, despite... You know, even just walking up a hill. I used to live up a street that was, say, I don't know, twenty meters from the basic level of the main road up up the hill, and that was that was hard work. And and that was when I was actually physically vaguely fit as well. So, um, yeah, it's the, the the lack of oxygen, it, as I understand it, it makes your uh, it makes your lungs. Um, absorb less and it needs more oxygen so they they give you oxygen masks to give you a little boost and it feels like an energy boost it feels like a mini shot of adrenaline effectively um so you know when you imagine playing playing sport um in these conditions then it really does it really is a major effect um but i've got to be honest argentina did not show did not show any signs of it and and it it wasn't just Messi. i mean i guess Messi was fantastic and he was um, he arrived at the right time to score um, the uh, the second goal in particular I was impressed it was a nice flowing move cross into the box but he was supported well and um, you know Ecuador went for it they didn't hold back um, I expected Argentina to be more defensive but, but they weren't and um, they've Okay, they've they've done the job. Yes. Overall, a very nerve wracking campaign, but in the end they've done what they've needed to do. And I guess I'd wrap up overall by saying I agree wholeheartedly with what you guys have touched on so far, this pod, by saying that we need the big teams in the World Cup. I like a balance. I like the fairy tale stories like Iceland, but you do need the Argentinas, the, the Netherlands, the Germany's, the Italy's of this world. You need them in the World Cup too to make the big storylines and to make the fairy tale teams have their glorious moments. So I'm glad that Argentina are there. Um, but uh, yeah, they did just enough and um, I'll uh, hopefully get to see them in November. So that'll be good.
1: Yeah, I, I, th- I think. I, I, you know, I personally think it's it's good Argentina out there and they they're going to be for me. They're going to be one of the favorites. Um, Tim, maybe to to answer your question about the oxygens, uh, um, I was recently in Mexico City, which is a similar elevation. It feels like someone is holding a hand on your chest the entire time. Yeah. It's a it's a really weird feeling, and it takes about five six days, and then you completely adjust it to it. But it feels like someone is just holding a hand on your chest, kind of slightly holding you back all the time and uh, so playing at that level is isn't easy um at that elevation but yeah maybe um before we wrap this up what <laughs> has been a really interesting part um chile are not there and this is maybe um i'm i'm I, this is something i've already said um during the you know during the confederations cup podcasts that we did they they were always a team for me greater than the sum of its parts and I, feel like that for Chile, um, the time has now come to massively rebuild, revamp and restructure the entire side. This is, this was a great side. It really was. It was a tie, a side that mesmerized many of us. Um, you know, won the, of course, the 2015 and 2016 Cuba, Cuba Americas and, um, really a fantastic team. But I already got the sense at the, the World Cup. And this is something I pointed out to you guys. I think when I watched the final that, they only had the the energy to play top football for the first 30 minutes and after that, the, they would massively peak off and the reason for that is age. So I think for them, the time has come to look at this World Cup cycle and say, well, um, it's time to say goodbye to a bunch of players and Redo the, the structure of youth development because there isn't very much there. The, the, the league isn't strong enough. The, the, the development of players isn't strong enough. And, um, that's, that's for them. The swan song, um, I think for an entire generation is coming there. Um, they were, they will, they finish sixth. Peru is in the inter-confederations playoffs. So we we'll might see Peru at the World Cup, um, which team we haven't seen in a long time. So that will be interesting. Anyways, boys, we are sadly we're out of time. Andrew, um, what have you been up to lately, and uh, where can people find you on the internet?
3: Yeah, as usual, doing um, doing a round of previews, and of course, there's the uh, Champions League uh, previews uh, coming up for next week, so I'll be writing more of those. Um, and i actually, um, you mentioned Chile, their their opponents, Brazil. Um, I'll be. Uh, well I've actually I've edited a, a great magazine coming out of these Football Times one um, which is it's on, it's on sale at the moment it'll be delivered soon and that's going to be uh, probably the best issue yet um, so I'm particularly proud of that um, but yeah like I say on Football Grad the, the previews for Champions League and Europa League that's um, that's what's up next for me um, on Twitter at Andrew M-I-J Flint so find me there
1: yeah Tim how about you
3: well, I'm excited for Champions League as well.
2: Uh, big game for Spartak, and then um, obviously, you know, I will be. The, the league is coming back soon, so that's. that's, uh, And to me, it's a very important season on the point, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, um, my band is playing the show on the weekend. The Whitecaps are playing, and um, the, you can find me at Team 61 at, on
1: Twitter. Yeah, it's so definitely an account worth following. Well, I've been your host, Manuel Weff. You can find me on Twitter, of course. Go follow me and some of the controversial stuff that I put out at Manuel Weff. <laughs> and um, yeah, you said it, the, the Whitecaps are back, so that's Sunday. And of course, the, the Champions League previews that are coming out. They will be coming out Sunday as well, Monday. Um, and then the Europa League will be out on Tuesday. And this is across the entire network. You can find that at football grad live. Um, also I want to say this, um, uh, we're actually going to be football Guard is going to be back in Europe, um, big time. You no know, starting in mid November. You know, we're going to cover games on the ground. Of course, some of us are already covering games. I'll be back in November in Europe and uh, try to cover as many Champions League games as possible, Bundesliga games as well. So that's that's the big football grad on tour um which is starting in November. So if you're in Europe, you're listening from us in Europe um and you even want to hang out, shoot me a message. Uh, that's always cool. Uh finally iTunes. Uh if you listen to us on iTunes please leave us a review, leave us feedback uh, any feedback, even on Twitter, is always welcome. We enjoy getting the feedback, negative and positive, because it helps us get better. And that's something we want to do. So anyways, that's it from me. Um, talk to you guys next week. Das vidania.